Hey, does anybody, did anybody get any Christmas cards in the mail yet this week? Anybody got Christmas cards came in the mail? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Christmas time. I love when the Christmas cards come in, right? But let's be honest about it, right? There's a little bit of pressure when it's Christmas card season, right? I mean, you gotta look good, right? You gotta get the family out there. You gotta get everybody matching. You gotta make it look like this is the best Christmas ever. Look at our Christmas card, right? It's gotta be better than last year. And there's all this pressure. I can remember like a couple years ago, we were going for a photo shoot and and we were all, Julie got us all dressed up, looking sharp, matching, you know what I mean? And, and my, our oldest son, Cole, tried to pick up our youngest son, Knox, and help him cross this mud puddle area. And the added weight of him in my son's arms, he slipped on the mud, and both of them just go straight in this big, like, mud pile. And my wife lost her mind. It was awesome, right? And so... <laughs> There's just a lot of pressure for Christmas cards, right? So I just thought it would help you either give you some ideas of what not to do or just, just kind of help you out. Let's, let's try to stay away from this this year, okay? Let's, you know, we don't... If you were thinking that, think again, all right? Or you could go with something like this, right? If you have some wildlife in your life. I mean, check out the hawk or whatever it is with the lady's arm. It's got like some kind of thing covering its head. Like it could go attack mode. If you're like, if you got an animal that could attack you in your Christmas photo, it's not gonna be the best Christmas ever. All right, how about this one? That's good. That's nice. I want to know: is the deer dead or alive in this picture? Because he's about to ride that sucker right out of that picture, right? How about this one? This is a good one. Right. All right. Can you imagine just getting that in the mail, and then when your friends come over, you have to explain, "This is my crazy cousin. He lives in Kentucky." Right? I don't know. I mean. Sorry, from Kentucky, I'm just saying, it could happen. Well, how about this next one? There's a uh, nice new kids on the block. They don't have the right stuff, but uh, I don't know what happened. And then this is somebody in our own community, this next shot here. How about that, right? Now, if you don't know, that's Ryan Allwer. He's my co-host on Radio Theology. He also has led worship here and his wife, Lauren. And that was their real family, like Christmas uh, photo. And it went like viral. And now it's on all these like awkward family photos. They're like famous <laughs> for this picture. So, just helping you out, right? Because I want you to have the best Christmas ever, right? But there's pressure. You've got to have the best Christmas. It's got to go great. You know what I mean? You're going to have your family over and your people you love and the people that you tolerate and you don't know because you want it to go good, but then crazy Uncle Earl comes over and gets crazy, right? And then you're like, man, I just want it to go good this time. And usually that pressure comes on our families, right? Because to have the best Christmas ever, we really feel like, you know what? I've got to have the best family ever. The problem is your family in your eyes is probably not the best family ever, right? You have a crazy uncle and maybe you're a little crazy and things get stressful and it's just tough. And so you have this stress of, man, if I'm going to have the best Christmas ever, we need to have the best family ever. And, and I don't know. And then like, does, you know, does God use crazy families like us? And here's the great thing about families. It's family, right? Is the vehicle that God has been using to change the world forever. And the great part is he uses messed up, crazy families like yours and mine, right? Like, let's just take a quick sample of a couple families, right? Adam and Eve, right? Noah and his family, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Mary and Joseph, lots and lots of families throughout the New and Old Testament, right? And here's the thing, like Adam and Eve, like as a family, they basically ruined humanity, right? Like they introduced sin. That was a, that, you know, wish we could have a do over there, right? And Noah, there's some problems in Noah's life. Looks like he maybe was a little, uh, he, he maybe had a little problem with the sauce a little bit sometimes with Noah, right? Abraham, he offered his wife to another man. Not a strong Christmas decision. Um, 
Rebecca, she schemed with her son to deceive her husband and steal a birthright and things. It's not great to work in deception in your marriage, right? Jacob, he had a great thing going on with his kids. He raised them so well, they sold one of their brothers into slavery and lied to him, right? So that was a strong decision. David was a real bang-up dad. He did a great job with his family when he had an affair with another woman and killed that woman's husband, and then things kind of fell apart, and his son started a total, like, revolution against him, right? So God uses some really wacky families in really amazing ways. So guess what? Your family has a shot for the best Christmas ever. Because here's the invitation. The invitation, I borrowed this quote from a book called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, written by Reggie Joyner. But listen to this. This Christmas, if you were to invite God into your less than ideal story and learn to cooperate with whatever he wants to do in your life, the dynamic of your family could change radically. If you were to invite God into your less than ideal story and learn to cooperate with whatever he wants to do in your life, the dynamic of your family could radically change. Because this, listen to this quote here. Because God wants to use your family as a canvas for his redemptive story. He wants to use your family to show what it means to have authentic, everyday faith in a God who redeems and restores broken people. Read that again. God wants to use your family as a canvas for his redemptive story. He wants to use your family to show what it means to have authentic, everyday faith in a God who redeems and restores broken people. Because see, that is the Christmas story. Like, that's the Christmas story. A family who invited Jesus into their life and went along with whatever God wanted from them. And their fragmented and broken family was actually used as the vehicle to restore broken people, chief among us, us, right? Here's the story. Let's jump into Matthew chapter one. Here's the Joseph's version of it, right? Mary's is over in Luke. The Joseph version goes like this, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. Not the best Christmas ever, right? But it's okay, because it was by the Holy Spirit. But he didn't know that, because that had never happened before in the history of humanity, okay? So wrap your mind around Joseph's life, right? When his young bride comes to him and says, boy, boy, I'm pregnant, right? Don't worry, it's God's baby, all right? Um, and he had to go to work on Monday and explain that, right? Like, make the story real. Like, that's what had to happen, right? Joseph, hey, how was this weekend? Well, it was good. I went to a soccer game uh, for my nephews. And then uh, Mary and I were hanging out Sunday afternoon and uh, found out she's pregnant. But it's God's baby. Uh, like, can you imagine having to have the conversation at work or with his parents, right? Not the best Christmas ever. Let's jump back in the story. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. And while he was trying to figure out a way, he had a dream. And God's angel spoke to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant and she will give a son, she will give birth to a son. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son and they will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up and he did exactly what the angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby. He named the baby 
Jesus. Jesus, as we spend some time diving into some scriptures here, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, that we would calm our mind, our emotions, and our spirit, and focus in on what you have to say. Speak to us, Lord, and um, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We love the Christmas story, but none of us would choose to live it, right? None of us would. It's a great story, but it's too risky. It doesn't go well. Right? They've got to deal with all the struggle of that. Then the whole birth isn't great. You know, they're in a manger with animals. Then there's a crazy king that wants to kill Jesus. And so then Mary and Joseph have to leave and go to another country. Like Things aren't good in the Christmas story. We read it and we're like, it's Christmas. But none of us would be like, you know what? I'm going to order Christmas for my best Christmas ever in my life. We wouldn't want it. And here's the deal with Joseph. He didn't know what he was getting into. Right? Joseph didn't know he was in the Joseph story in the Bible. He was just Joseph. And he took the amazing, amazing risk to say yes to the invitation to invite Jesus into his home. Very, very risky proposition to invite Jesus into your home. He didn't know everything that was going on. And and here's the thing that is true for us. We never really know the weight that is on the backside of our decision to obey or disobey God. We just know that we're faced with the opportunity to say yes or no to the invitations that God brings into our life, but we don't know the weight or the consequences of those decisions. And Joseph didn't. And I was thinking about this today is that Joseph could have said no, right? Like he didn't have, it didn't have to go like this. And I, I don't honestly think that like God would have you know, turned him into like a pillar of salt or something if he had been like, no, I'm not marrying Mary. This is too freaky. I can't take it. I don't know what the story would have looked like, but it would have been different. But God would have accomplished his will whether or not Joseph said yes. But he took the risk and he said yes. And here's a question that I have for us. What is your family missing because you're unwilling to take the risk to say yes to Jesus. See, so, I mean, we're not the holy family here, okay? Like, you know, we're just, we just live in Noblesville. I don't think God's trying to like save the world through our life. But here's the crazy part. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is actually trying to save the world through your family. Maybe not the entire world, but your world. Your sphere of influence, God is going to use your family. If you will invite Jesus into your home, maybe even this Christmas, he could use your family and your life to change your world. What is your family missing because you're unwilling to take the risk? You say, well, you know, let's take it easy, right? It's, isn't Christmas time a time for family? And I just, you know, and I just kind of want to take care of my family. I know I want to get involved in everything that God's doing in the world. And we got problems enough. And so if we're going to have the best Christmas ever, it's just going to be me and our nuclear family. Like we just got to take care of, you know, circle the wagons because things are crazy these days, right? And that's how we're going to have the best Christmas ever. And it makes me think of a phrase I hear often that Christians say about our families when things get risky or odd. We like to say stuff like this. Well, you know, 
thought about getting involved in stuff some of those outposts are doing or some of the stuff that, that I feel like God's put in my heart. But you know, right now I'm at a place where my family is my greatest ministry, right? You ever heard somebody say that, right? I can't stand that statement. Because if your family is just your ministry, what it says to the world is stay out because I fulfill God's mission by protecting rather than by trusting. Here's a subtle change I would like us to move forward with to see us have the best Christmas ever. What if instead of saying, my family is my ministry, we said, my family is a ministry? You see, one is on the defense and one is on the offense saying we are the salt and light of the world. And so the way that I actually move my kids to become the greatest they could ever be and the way that I actually move forward to see the best Christmas ever experienced in my life is I don't come back and say it's just about my family. I say, no, my family is a ministry. And what can we do is we invite Jesus to our table. The mission of your family is not ultimately to protect your children, but to mobilize them to demonstrate God's love to a broken world. Like, what if Mary and Joseph had been like, it's just our family, right? Like, Jesus, listen, I know you've got this mission to save the world and all, but it's going to get dangerous, right? You just go to school and be a good boy and don't do these kind of things and don't get mixed up in what, you know. They would have possibly compromised the mission to actually save the world. And it wasn't an easy deal for Jesus to go through, was it? At all, right? Here's a question I want us to ask. Is your home this Christmas, is your home a hospital for sinners or a museum for saints? See what you're doing there, Darren. See what you're doing. That's what Josh says about Mercy Road. <laughs> but that's a church and this is my house. So why don't we keep church at church and house at house, Right? Except there really is no such thing as Mercy Road, right? We have this building, but this used to be borders, right? Mercy Road is just us, right? Like there is no church thing. Like it exists because you exist and we exist. So if we're going to say that Mercy Road is going to be a museum, right? It's not going to be a museum for, for saints, but it's going to be a hospital for sinners. What we're saying is, if that's going to be true, is my table at my house will be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We might need to think about that for a while. See, Jesus spent his early years watching his parents, his earthly parents, continually make the decision to move forward in the mission of God. And of course, you know, he saw his heavenly father doing the exact same thing. And so he just modeled what he saw. And so here's my question for us. If we're gonna have the best Christmas ever, and if the Christmas story for our families is going to ever become more than just the Christmas story, it actually has to start becoming our story. I remember a couple of years ago, <clears throat> I didn't use this illustration in the first service, but I've already started it, so I'm going to finish it. We challenged people to invite people to their home. Uh, it was when I was working at East 91st Street Christian Church, and... Um, Met this guy, he was kind of a weird guy, 
Um, but I felt like I was supposed to invite him to Christmas. And I don't think he had a lot of family in town. And so he came to our house. His name was John. My kids thought it was really odd because it was our family and John. And he brought over a $2,500 bottle of scotch. Uh, I told you he was kind of interesting. Um, I'd never had $2,500 scotch before. It's quite tasty. It's quite, quite tasty. Um, but John was there, and, and, and I, I hoped he felt loved that day. We invited him to our table. And John was a troubled soul. And um, in a few years after he had Christmas with us, I got a phone call that John had been found dead at his apartment from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And John had been invited by people to church a lot and stuff in his life, and he just didn't really love going to church. And I don't know if it would have made any difference, but I've always thought to myself is if earlier on in John's life, if more Christians had invited them to their table rather than just to church, would it have changed his life at all? Like, is your home a hospital for sinners or is it a museum for saints? If we're going to have the best Christmas ever, we have to actually change our thinking that we have like the best family ever, to actually embrace the idea of having the best family ever, right? It's not a misprint, right? <clears throat> I can't spell, but I actually spelled this correctly, right? I mean family, right? You remember a couple years ago, the family plans, right? Your, the, where you could, you, know, you could add people that weren't your family to your, 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 your cell phone deal, right? And they were your family, right? Well, little did they know when they came up with this marketing deal for this, they were actually being very biblical, right, with this idea of family, Okay. Because I don't mean to burst your bubble, but every time you read the word family, okay, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you're not reading what we in North America think of family. When we see family, we think, we think like our house, our nuclear family, right? Like national average, 2.5 kids, a dog, white picket fence, right? We think family. And so we read stuff in the, in the Bible and we come up with things like focus on the family. And what we mean is our family. Except in the Bible, in the New Testament, every time it talks about a family, it's actually talking about a household. And the, and the word there is oikos. Okay? It's saying a family is an oikos. And the word oikos is defined as this. It is a relational network of blood and non-blood relationships. Natural family along with friends, neighbors, and work relationships. It is your sphere of influence. So for us to have the best Christmas ever, we have to begin to embrace the understanding that we have to live as the best family ever. That this Christmas isn't just about you and your nuclear family. What would it look like for your blood and non-blood relationships, right? Your natural family along with friends, neighbors, and work relationships, a sphere of influence to be brought to your table and invited into what God is doing through your life and through your family. You see, Jesus set this example for us of what family looked like. Jesus didn't get married. He didn't have kids, right? He didn't have a family of his own. So right off the bat in his ministry, he began creating a family, right? He starts off in his ministry. What does he do? He, gain, he invites 12 kind of dudes that are a little bit off their rockers a little bit and not the greatest in society to 12 people to just live life, right? They lived together. They ate together. They walked together. He taught them, right? They stayed together. They became a family, and it was through that vehicle that he changed the world. And the same can be true for you and I. If we're willing to embrace the understanding that we are called and designed by God to live as an oikos. That's the whole vision of Mercy Road around outposts, right? 
We could have called Outpost Oikoses, but we figured it was hard to pronounce it, so we went with Outpost, okay? But it's the idea of an Oikos, a household, a family. But even Jesus' family, this was tough for them to get their minds around, right? Because in Mark chapter 3, what happens is Jesus starts going and his actual nuclear family, his mothers and brothers and sisters are like, this is getting a little weird, Jesus, okay? And here's what happens. In verse 31, then his mother and his brother showed up. Standing outside, they relayed a message they wanted a word with him. And he was surrounded by the crowd. And when he was given the message, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside looking for you, he replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking at those around him, he said, these are my mother, my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. What if in this moment, Jesus would have said, you know what? The only thing that matters is I just got to protect and take care of my nuclear family. His mission to save the world, in my opinion, would have stopped. Here's the really great news for you and me. Because of what Jesus said there and what it says here in Romans 8, we have been invited into God's family. Listen to this. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit. And when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share God's glory, we must also share his suffering. 1 John 3 says this, So see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. One way you can have the best Christmas ever is if you're here and you say, you know what, Darren, I know you were saying that God works with jacked up families, but like my family's like really jacked up. Like, and I, I, I could really use a new family. The invitation this morning is because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our sins can be removed. Anything that keeps us separated from God and we can be invited into God's family and become children of God. We are invited to Jesus's table and then given the opportunity to invite other people to join the family and gather around the table as well. It's the best family ever. It's the best family ever with the best mission ever. Let's go back to this idea of table for a minute. Your kitchen table is one of the most sacred places in your house, right? Have you ever noticed that you can have people over to your house and you can have like a really nice sunroom or like a really nice couch, but if you have people over to your house, where do they stand? They stand in your kitchen, don't they? Usually somewhere around your kitchen table. It's where life happens. And God's been really challenging me about my understanding of my table. And God kind of brought it to me as a question like this. Darren, <clears throat> if your sons just paid attention to the time at your kitchen table over the next 365 days, who would they see that matters to your family? Like, will my boys see the kingdom of God at our table or they just see the people that I'm comfortable with, the people that I like, the people that are the same color and race and religion that we are? Like, is our table a place that we invite people to experience the kingdom of God, or is it just a place that we keep us safe? 
and it's been messing with my mind. Something to maybe ponder for you. Is your table a museum for saints or is it a hospital for sinners? See, Jesus got into a lot of trouble for expanding his table. But here's our issue is when we only gather publicly and show ourselves to be followers of Jesus in this context, we actually betray the most powerful and primitive understanding of the, that, that, that we are as a family of God. Here's, here's the question. When's the last time you had a family gathering that looked like this today? Or is your Christmas going to look like this at all? If it is, I've got a number for a great counselor that you should take, take right? Like rows, you sitting in rows and one guy talking, right? We don't do family like this, do we? Right? You're not going to sit down and like hand out the gifts on, on Christmas, right? Be like, we're going to get in rows and you guys won't speak and just dad will speak and hand you gifts, right? It'd be the lamest family hangout ever, right? But here's the deal. If the only time the world sees us saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, is when we get together and sit in rows and listen to someone talk, they find it very difficult to understand how they can become a part of the family. We have a world right now that is absolutely being ripped apart by social and racial and socioeconomic struggles and distrust and hate, and it, it sickens me, and it's not the kingdom of God. And as Christians, the way we're going to change that is not voting certain ways. The way we're going to change that is by beginning to change what it looks like to be at our table. Because we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And when we say, you know what, I'm going to have the best Christmas ever and I'm going to do that by taking people that are around me that may not trust Jesus, that may not trust white people, that may not trust whatever it may be. And I want to say, you know what, I want to invite you into my life. Here's the deal. We want you to invite a bunch of people to join us for Christmas Eve. Let's pack this place out because it's going to be really, really awesome. And we're going to tell people about Jesus and they need to hear it. I'm going to up the ante. I didn't ask permission from Josh, but unless he tackles me in this moment, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Okay. <laughs> I'm asking you this. Don't invite anybody to this, this table unless the invitation comes with one to your table. Hey, you want to go to my church? Yeah, but I really kind of need a friend. Nope. <laughs> Enjoy the back row. Because I'm out. And they might come, you know what? And they might make a decision for Jesus and praise hallelujah. That's wonderful. But they won't find someone that will teach them how to follow Jesus unless they have a seat at your table. So if they're coming to Christmas Eve, let's see them at your table. We made it easy for you. In your bulletin today, you have one of these. Take it, fill it out with your oikos. People that you feel like are in your sphere of influence that maybe God has called you to pray for and invite to your table, Right? And this isn't about invite them over, give them the four spiritual laws and a track and then kick them out of your house, right? This is actually, I'm going to live life with them. We have people that do this really well and it really blows my mind. That's why I love being a part of Mercy Road. And I've invited Cynthia Whitaker to come up here and to, to talk to you guys about what's going on in the private reserve. Give Cynthia a hand. <clears throat> Cynthia, in her day job, is a public speaker. She travels the world speaking and... Last week, Julie, my wife, spoke, and Cynthia came up to her afterwards and said, I don't know how you got up there and did that. I would never get up and speak. And then on 
Wednesday, I texted her and said, hey, you want to get up on stage and do an interview? So, God's funny, right? Yeah, God it has a great sense of humor. Let me see what's happening here. We're on, we're on, check. Yep, there we go. All right, so, there we go. So, Cynthia, enjoy public speaking. You've done it first time, you're great. You killed the last service, so it's great. So, tell the folks a little bit, what is the Private Reserve Outpost? What are you guys about? What are you doing? Yeah, so we started uh, meeting probably about two years ago, and we met in the Yoder's home, and that's kind of where our outpost became a family, and then um, we decided we needed, it was time to get out with the community and figure out what we wanted to do on mission. Mm. Um, so we threw around a bunch of things like helping the elderly and helping children or single parents, and so um, we decided we were going to be at the private reserve apartment complex. And that's where we met all of these people right here in the front row. So basically, you guys just said there's an apartment complex that we have a connection to. We're just going to start meeting there. Yeah, so we meet every Sunday night at the clubhouse, and we have dinner with them and do activities and play games and just hang out and with them. So how has that environment for your guys' outpost, how has that started to create, like, family? <laughs> yeah. So we um, started bringing the kids to church and to the summit on Sunday nights and just kind of started listening to them. And um, actually my car is kind of like um, on at the summit on Sunday night. It's kind of like one of those clown cars where you just keep coming out. Coming out. <laughs> um, but yeah, they are um, definitely family. Um, yeah. They have met my extended family. Um, they uh, you know, asked if we could have a kickback. One day I was like, I'm not cool. What is a kickback? <laughs> so they had to explain to me and um, you know, say, well, just where you hang out. So they all came over and um, I invited my sister and brother-in-law. And they came as well. And um, they actually joined our outpost too because uh, they love the kids as much as we do. Yeah. So how, how is expanding your table, right, and, and, and for the whole outpost becoming a family, how has that impacted your family? Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because we didn't practice this or talk about it, but yeah. we actually did get a bigger table. Um, we used to have a, a table for four people, and now we have one for ten because we have all these other children in our life. So you literally have a new table. We literally have a new table. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, so they also, um, you know, with we have two sons. Well, we actually have four, but our two one, that still live at home. Um, Cameron, our younger one, he is... Um, it's kind of like a, a brother-sister relationship. They get along, they play games, and then there's times where they fight like true brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. um, and then our older son, Spencer, he's been at um, college, and so he came home for Thanksgiving and was like, Mom, I hear you talking about these kids all the time. They need to come over so that I can meet them and learn to love them like you do. So modeling that, like, because you could say, hey, we're just going to take care of the Whitakers. That's just our deal, right? But in expanding the table, it... I mean, you're, you're saying it's it started to shape the way your your kids even see mission. They what they see like their faith with Christ too. I mean, it's impacted that. Yeah, it's it's actually yeah, it's very cool. Um, you know, they they come to our family events. It's not just you know we pick them up for church. They are over a couple times a week, um, and the kids want them there. They helped us put up our Christmas tree and all that kind of fun stuff. So, so but like, there's a risk in that because like. Like, we have kids at our house a lot, you know, my son's kids, and they break stuff, and, like, they mess stuff up, right? And um, so, like, letting people into your life and into your kids' lives and, like, being, like, willing to just go with what Jesus gives us, like, 
is it actually worth the risk of it? 100%. Um, I can't imagine my life without them now. Um, they actually played a joke on me um, this past week. Um, they told me that they were moving to Texas. Yeah. And they said, because um, they have family there, and they said that they were going to um, go for Christmas and they were moving and not coming back. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's funny. Um, and then as they carried on the joke, I was like, uh, I think they're serious. And so I was texting their mom saying, um, please tell me you're not taking my other children away. <laughs> and um, then when Dennis said, okay, they're really breaking my heart, um, that's when they decided to call it off. And say, <laughs> so you just said your other children. Is that kind of the way you like, feel? Uh, 100%, yeah. They, they know that I love and adore them and would do anything for them. Um, it's actually really funny because I, um, some of my clients, they see pictures on Facebook and Snapchat. Again, they set up my Snapchat because I'm not cool like that. So, so now you do kickbacks and snaps, huh? And snaps. Wow. You're yeah. getting cooler by the moment, Cynthia. Oh, it's really yeah. great. Um, so, you know, they're the selfie queen, so they're taking pictures all the time on my phone and posting them. And, and so they, um, one, a coworker said, so who are these kids? Like, do you have other children? And, like, do you take care of the? I said, yes, they are. They are my extended family. And, I love them like my family. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Thank you, Cynthia. Let's give it up. <clears throat> so, like, that, that's happening in our church, right? So here's the question. What expression of Christmas, what expression of the kingdom of God is your family being called to? but you're yet experiencing it because you haven't taken the risk. If you want to have the best Christmas ever, think about expanding your table. Think about beginning to live, looking for the family that God has set apart for you. We're going to close today, and we're going to do so by taking communion. It's pretty apropos in our conversation about table to gather around Jesus' table. And um, the amazing thing was, is the night he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his family, with his disciples, around a table, and they shared a meal. And he took bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body given for you. Then he took a cup of wine and he blessed it. He said, this cup represents my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, every time you get together as a family, do this in remembrance of me. And so today we're going to end singing and worshiping to our father who is good and gathering around his table. And may this moment maybe just be the, the first step for you towards your best Christmas ever. We have a great family. The great mission. Let's celebrate it and experience it together this morning.